Well, this sermon series, Hindsight, is about how by looking into God's word, we can find a future full of possibilities, that God has come to give us life and life abundant. You know, as I look back on hindsight and think about where God has brought us as a church and where God has worked in my life, we were looking back at some pictures earlier this week, and I want to share a few of them with you. Uh, the first is a picture of what the Mount Horb looked like in 1970s, early 70s. We were there on the corner of uh, Old Cherokee and Fox Glen, and the congregation was kind of small, uh, pushing along as a church. And then Lynn and I were blessed with our family to get here in 1994. Um, and Lynn said to make sure to comment about her big hair uh, in that picture. And there's our son Aaron, and uh, I'm not sure where Ashley was at, but uh, that was 1994. And then next is a picture of 1996. Now the church had begun to grow in that small little sanctuary up there on the corner. And that's probably at the end of a service, I'm guessing, because we had to set up chairs in the aisles to, for more, more people. And then we would take them up on the last song and people could leave. But there's some sweet memories there of some great relationships. These are foundational people that helped lay the foundation for what God is doing here at Mount Horb. And then fast forward to 1998, uh, we had a tent revival in I think for two years, maybe three years, a tent revival. And we had a tent revival out on the ball field because there wasn't enough room in that little sanctuary uh, in order for people to get in the room. So you can look there, maybe recognize some of those people, uh, some of you who have some long history here. Uh, just great memories of what God has done here in the past. And we recently had a, a time for it called Kingdom Investment, looking at uh, how God has provided. And here's a slide that gives you a little perspective of what's happened in the last decade, just going back to 2010. And you can see there the uh, giving in our church, the attendance in our church, how it's changed from 2010 to 2019. And as we look forward to 2020. So hindsight gives us the possibility of a great future if we look and depend upon God's word. I, I shared with the coffee time uh, folks over there a few minutes ago as we were talking about what's caused Mount Horeb to, to grow and move forward. And, and I shared with them two things, one, being prayer-driven as a church, and number two, staying grounded in God's word. Being prayer-driven and staying grounded in God's word. I want to read you a very important passage of scripture uh, from Hebrews chapter 10. Would you stand as, we, as I read God's word together? Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 21. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. As I think about hindsight, Looking back, there is one word in this passage that, that reminds me of hindsight, and that's the word since, S-I-N-C-E, since. Since God has done this, 
let us do this. Since God in, in the past has done this mighty redemptive work, let us move forward. In fact, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is sometimes called the lettuce book. Lettuce book, because you'll find the phrase let us 14 times in the book of Hebrews and four times in this chapter right here. Four times where the writer says, let us. So I'm gonna go over those four with you this morning, kind of quickly. And, and the first one is based upon a divine invitation. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Now, the great high priest that the writer is talking about here is Jesus. That Jesus Christ through his sacrificial death on a cross, has made us right with God if we believe in him. If we ask him, he will make us clean and right with God. And when that happens, we have full access to God. We can go right into God's presence. There's nothing that can keep you from God's presence if you invite Christ Jesus to forgive you and cleanse you. He is the high priest. Access to God. Again, one of the great things that's happened in this church through the years is our people have taken that very seriously. That we can bring all of our ministries, we can bring all of our challenges, we can bring all of our opportunities and ask God to bless them. Ask God to move. You know, God loves to be asked. He, he loves for us to say, God, would you move? God, would you change? God, would you bless? God, would you feel? God, would you transform? And God says, absolutely. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will heal their land. I will move in a mighty way, a great high priest. Then we have a divine inv invitation. We also, I think in this passage, have divine insistence. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. We gotta remain true to God's word. When the writer of Hebrews wrote these words, they had been put in place, the words he was reflecting on, holding firm, holding fast, to 1,400 years prior. Because that's when Moses first wrote the Pentateuch, or the five books of the Old Testament, the first five books. So they've been holding firm to their belief in God for 1,400 years. And God had been faithful to keep his promises for 1,400 years. Now we fast forward today, 2,000 years later of that time. So for 3,400 years, the church, the people of God have been holding firm to their beliefs and trusting God to move in mighty ways. I don't want that to change. I don't want to throw away 3,400 years of trusting God, do you? I want to hold firm to the word of God, to the promises of God, because God is faithful to keep his promises. A divine invitation, a divine insistence, and I believe verse 24 says, you and I are to make a divine impact. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are to motivate each other, to challenge each other, to do good things for the glory and the purpose of God. That annual report I referred to is a snapshot of some of the good things that we've been motivated to do in the community through missions and through outreach and through generosity, both locally and globally. And then in verse 25, I believe we have 
divine intent. God intends something to happen. Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, God intends for us to do just this. He intends for the church, his people, to gather together to worship, not to neglect that. And there are times when we're traveling, there are times we're you know, away, but when we're here, we need to be together in God's house. We believe that we are better together. So don't neglect that. Make sure you don't skip out on that. Make sure you don't just try to squeeze it in. Make it a priority in your life. And, and there's a reason for that. One, it glorifies God, it honors God, it helps us grow in our faith. But also, this passage reminds us there's a sense of urgency because Jesus Christ is returning. Jesus Christ is going to come back and establish his rule and reign here on the planet. This earth as we know it will not always hold together. But we as Christians believe in the one who will establish a new kingdom and a new earth. We call it the second coming of Jesus. And that's what the writer talks about here, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. You see, every generation of Christians from the time of Jesus have believed that Jesus would come back and set up his kingdom in their lifetime. We, we should not be any different. We should be urgent about spurring each other on to good works, to, to reach out to those who don't know Christ because he is going to come back. And it could be in this generation. It could be today. It could be this week. We need to live with that kind of awareness that there are people who don't know him, the people that need to meet Jesus Christ, they need to have their life touched. There's a sense of urgency. So we've been holding on, holding firm to 3,400 years of tradition, 3,400 years of doctrine that was lifted up 2,000 years ago when Jesus came and, and fulfilled both the Old and the New Testament, establishing a new covenant. But what does it look like in 2020? What does it look like in the next decade, if indeed we are given another decade? Well, in order to do that, I want us to spend a few minutes looking into the future. And I want to invite out two people that you know very well, who I think are two of the sharpest people on the planet, who get it, who understand the church, who understand uh, what God is up to, and they are their people of vision. So I want to invite out two people you know. They've already been out here today. Uh, Trevor Miller, come on out, Trevor, and Grace Marie Ward. Give them a hand. Two of my favorite people, uh, two people who get it, two people who, who love the Lord, and uh, are, are, we're blessed to have you guys on our team. And so we're going to do a little couch time here. You know, we don't usually. I feel like he's going to read us a story. This is very cute. Papa Jeff. <laughs> There he is, supposed to bring me some coffee, but anyway. So, um, really? you know, uh, t tell a little bit about your history, because we've been together for 15 years, off and on, uh, doing this together, and hard to believe, Grace Marie, that you've been here eight years. You must have been like just out of high school or something when you came, you know, something Just keep like that. thinking that. Yeah, I know we don't look that old, but. <laughs> um, so I originally had moved down from Indiana to go to school at Columbia International University, go Rams, and I was there uh, in a class for youth ministry, when there was a girl who came into our class and was looking for folks to come and volunteer with the youth ministry kind of locally, and she was cute. So I wrote down her number, and then I never did anything, never Typical. called. I'm just being honest. This is before uh, Jenna, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. And so um, 
I ended up going home to Indiana and got a phone call during Christmas from my mentor saying that there was a church looking for some interns and wanted to know if I'd be interested. And so I said, sure, I'll go to lunch. And so I came back to South Carolina and um, went to Flight Deck. I'd never been there before and walked in and Jeff was sitting at a table. And so it was the girl that had come to my class to see if there was anybody interested in volunteering. And so I was like, wow, God, like you brought it full circle. So had a conversation and felt like it was the right thing. So I started in 2004 in February as an intern here, 20 hours a week for two years, working with middle school students. And um, then after I graduated, uh, the church was kind enough to hire me full time. And so I worked here for a couple of years. I took a little stint over in Irmo at another church um, at, called Eastlake Community Church and served there and then came back. And now I'm the family pastor here at the church in kind of a totally different role than I ever thought I would be in, but have seen my role change multiple times. But um, it's been a really good ride and a great place to do really well in ministry and also have some shortcomings that I've learned from. And the church has been gracious to let me do both those things. And again, people may not know this, but you're also currently a student at Asbury Seminary, taking online classes and moving toward a Master's of Divinity and right. still so growing. I'm actually a licensed local pastor in the United Methodist Church. Right. And um, am, I wish I was more hours into my, my uh, master's program, but I'm working through it slowly. Grace Marie. So yeah, I've been here for almost, well, actually it is eight years. It'll be full-time eight years in March, which is crazy to believe. Um, but I was at CIU also at the same time as Trevor was. So we were friends back then. And he probably would want you guys to know that I am one year older than him. One year. And he's very, yeah, he likes that. Um, but uh, but we, had, we were friends back then. And so when I graduated from CIU, I knew I wanted to go into full-time ministry. So I got a job at a church in Irmo. Uh, not the same church he was at, but closely related. Uh, for eight years, I was there, almost eight years. And really through that, Trevor and I stayed connected. Um, I knew he was here at Mount Horror. We did youth events actually together, sometimes some of the larger events we partnered together. And so when there was an opportunity to start helping him out, I really came on as a worship intern for student ministry down in the chapel from some of the pictures you guys just saw that used to be the old, old actual sanctuary worship space and so I started helping him out on Sunday nights, and just through a series of events, um, I came on full-time as a student worship leader, which was the first time that position was here at the church. So that was really interesting and a blessing to be able to start like paving the way for really developing our next generation of student worship leaders. And then within the year, God just opened some doors, and I transitioned into the contemporary worship leader, and then I was a part of us moving into this new building, and I'm the worship arts director now. So yeah, I've been in full-time ministry for 16 years, but eight years here. Yeah, so both of these uh, uh, sharp people started out as interns here, and now have grown into key staff people. And uh, you know, you and I had an email exchange with somebody who we interviewed for your position uh, back before we knew you were the person, and you were actually on the interview team. I was. As a student worship leader, interviewing who was going to take her job. And she, the person who was going to get the job was sitting at the table, and we didn't even know. For the record, I was like, this needs to be the one right here, right here, right here. Yeah, he's always said that, but anyway. But anyway, um, you know, years ago, uh, someone said to me uh, an interesting comment that I've never forgotten about being a pastor. And they were thinking about joining our church, and we had had several conversations, and they were a business owner. And they said to me, he says, preacher, I think we're going to join your church because I believe you're the kind of preacher that could get a job doing something else if you had to. I said, okay. He says, I figure if preaching is all you can do, you're not a very good preacher. But if you can get a job doing something else, you might be a pretty good preacher. So I say all that to say is that without question, Grace Marie and Trevor could have got a job doing anything else. They're very talented. They're very gifted. You've got 
skills. You could have been in sales. You could have been in business, whatever. But, but you've chosen to commit your life to the cause of Christ and to, and to work in a church. And, and I would just ask you, why do you believe in the church? Well, as we look past hindsight, we see the evidence of God's church, but you've committed your life now for the next rest of your life to working. Why, why is that? Well, for me, I, um, I grew up in a family that was always very involved in the local church. So my parents were youth pastors a long time ago. Uh, they served in the local church, and then actually for a number of years, they were missionaries in Texas. And so I kind of got pulled around all different places. But as a kid, I remember watching and seeing that there were lives that were being transformed by the ministry that was taking place by the local church. And so I remember seeing all kinds of amazing things at a small little rural church called Dayton United Methodist Church in Indiana. That's where my life was transformed. And really, as a junior in high school, I went to a summer camp through that little church, and we had a speaker who invited anybody to stand who felt like they were being called into ministry. And so as a junior in high school, I stood up, and I remember telling Jesus as a junior, I'll do whatever you call me to do. Wherever you tell me to go, I will go. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. I didn't know what that meant fully. I had no idea it would mean this at all. Um, but even from a young age, I was so committed because I believed that, that God was in the work of changing the world and changing people. And I had experienced that transformation in my own life, and I wanted every single person that I came in contact with to experience the same kind of transformation too. So for me, it was kind of a no-brainer. I mean, really, when I get, was given that opportunity, if I could do nothing else with my life um, than serving the church and serving Christ, I wanted to do it with everything I had because I, I couldn't see anything uh, being more important than that. So. That's kind of how I got to be doing this. Yeah, so mine, I mean, similar in a lot of ways that it it started really towards the end of my high school, but I was uh, going, you know, grew up in a Christian family, very exposed to the gospel, to Christianity, and went to a Christian school, but had a very rebellious heart. My sweet mother would uh, attest to as she sits right here, blessings. Um, But I had a really rebellious heart towards really the the things of God and um, was not interested at all in ministry, had no desire to really study the Bible. That wasn't even a thought. And really, it was right before my senior year that my life was truly changed because people that really invested in me really started loving on me well and pointing me to truth. And I'll always remember the weekend after I accepted Christ, I showed up to school the next Monday I think I told you this this past week. And I, I brought my Bible with me. I carried it. I walked into class and I walked up to my Bible teacher and I said, I've truly chosen to give my life to Christ. And from here on out, I'm 100% in. And I'm going to study this. I'm going to learn this. And I want to orient my whole life around who God says he is and what he's called me to be. And so for me, I knew that was the source of it. So I had a passion really from then on to be someone who could teach the Bible to other people, whether it was in a Christian school setting and a Bible study, and then really over time really began to get passionate about the local church specifically. And, and as starting as a Bible teacher, really, and, and doing that mainly, that kind of just transferred over into worship and music and started opening doors for that type of ministry also. And so that's why it's not surprising that, uh, that whenever you preached for the first time, you were so good uh, because you, you started out as a Bible teacher and again, we're, are we blessed? Can you get them in? We're blessed to have them on our team? They do such a great job. And we couldn't do what we do here at Mount Hoare without thou- literally thousands of volunteers who, who serve um, right now, serving as, we, as we're up here speaking. Church is going on all around us because people are serving as volunteers. But also, I think it's important for anybody out there that's wrestling or feeling that God is calling you into ministry, maybe on a more full-time basis, that their testimony uh, is, is, is just that, is that God will begin to speak into you 
It'll stir something in your heart. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to say that right now we have five of our, of our people that are in seminary at Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb, you as a church are helping make that happen for those five uh, people. And so just pay attention. If God is calling one of you into ministry, uh, into a full-time way, um, we need great people. In fact, we're blessed to have people on our staff who served in corporate America or Pastor Faye spent 30 years in corporate America and answered a call to ministry. So just be aware that God is always raising up people. Now, last week and the last few weeks, we've been working on a new a Bible study for leadership, Trevor, you and I got exposed to when we were in Liberia last year. And um, the, the, what we talked about this past week was the importance of having a passion for people who don't know Jesus Christ. And how do we reach people uh, in the next decade, in the next 20 years, if God gives us that much time to reach people? And one of the things we looked at is there's close to, there's over 7 billion people on the planet. And of those 7 plus billion people, more than 2 billion people have given their life to Jesus. Now think about that. More than 2 billion people on the planet believe in Jesus Christ or profess a belief in Jesus Christ. And for them, they say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life and changing my life. Now, there's also a little more than 2 billion people who've been exposed to Jesus, who've heard about Jesus and have chosen not to believe in Jesus. And so they have said, no, thank you, Jesus. More than 2 billion billion people on the planet. And there's another more than 2 billion people who have not yet heard about Jesus, whether they live in a part of the world where there, there is no church, the, the, the Bible is not yet in their language, and they have not heard about Jesus. So they have said, basically, who is Jesus? And so, Grace Man Trevor, we've got a whole generation right now that perhaps have said, no, thank you, Jesus. Or another part of our population who haven't yet heard of Jesus. How do we mobilize those who have said, thank you, Jesus, to reach those who say, no, thank you, Jesus, and who is Jesus? So in my experience and looking at the world that we live in kind of right now, our culture is the kind of culture that doesn't want to have any kind of authority really in our life. We don't want to be told what to think, how to live, what to do. And so because of that, um, I think what we're dealing with within the church as a whole is people who maybe have heard about Jesus, who uh, maybe intellectually have a belief in Jesus. But when it comes to being disciples, uh, a lot of us are not disciples because a disciple is someone who is willing to learn each and every day how to live under the rule and reign of God. And so I think that the church to move forward and continue to uh, grow this movement that's been happening for thousands of years, I think the church has to be a space and a place where we are giving people an opportunity for authentic discipleship, real discipleship. The, the opportunity to choose to submit to Jesus and say, he is who he says he is. I believe he has the power that he is expressed to have, and I'm going to submit my life to him. Let him call the shots. I'm not going to call them anymore. And so I think what I want to see within this church, within our community and around the world is more and more people who become real disciples, who are living our lives and making decisions based upon Christ, um, what he's telling us to do, how he's telling us to live, not necessarily the way that we want to, but we're submitting to him as true disciples who follow him. So... What I hear you saying is if we will become accountable to each other to grow in our faith, that people will begin to see that Jesus Christ is real and that he is working in our lives, and that becomes contagious. Yeah, I mean, if we become disciples, then the people that we rub shoulders with and spend time with, then we have the chance, the real opportunity then to express to them what does it look like to be a disciple so other people might say, I want the same thing. Whatever you've got, I want that too. Yeah, and I think to piggyback off of that, I think a big part of 
kind of where we are in our culture today is that people, uh, it's all about the individual. There's not this aspect of what it means to be a part of, of a community. And I think because of that, we've tried to, people are isolating themselves more and more and more. So the idea of church, the idea of accountability, the count, idea of doing life together is something that's becoming foreign to people. And But truly, when you look through scripture, when you look at cultures that are the healthiest cultures, are the ones who really have that type of community. Um, some of the phrases we jotted down when we were meeting this past week was, today we have more external comfort but less internal peace. Like I, that truly describes just so many people um, that I know. More access to the Bible with less biblical literacy. More family structures, less family stability. More superficiality and less vulnerability. And I think, you know, for us to really reach the next generation, the one thing we just have to be, we have to be authentic. You know, it's not about the leaders up front or different ministry leaders trying to act like everything's all together and everything's perfect, but there's, there's an idea that we're real, real people and we want to rub shoulders with real people who are struggling and, and walking through life. And ultimately, the anchor that's holding us together is we believe that our hope is in Jesus. And that, I think, us really anchoring our life on that truth, on who he is, is something we can pass the torch to to the next generation for sure. In verse 23 here of, of Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now, we're living in a world now that is wavering. Truth is being called into question. And how do we hold tightly? How do we, what do we, what do we need to hold on to as we, as we look at this generation that perhaps says, no, thank you, Jesus, or that are unchurched or, or, or need to come to know who Jesus Christ is? Yeah, I, I heard this quote a couple weeks ago that I just, I thought it was so powerful yet so simple that someone from the Passion Conference in Atlanta quoted G.K. Chesterton saying, don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason why it was put up. Don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason why it was put up. And I feel like today in conversations I get in or things I look at on social media, it's just, it's this hostility towards anything that creates a boundary in life or anything that creates, you know, a belief around an order of the way that we believe that God has made the world to work. And because of that, I just feel like we have a generation, a lot of times of Christians who, when people are questioning, why is that fence up? Take it down. You don't need it. Don't tell her what she can do. Don't tell him what he needs to do. Let people figure out their own way. Let people do what they want. And it's true. People can make their own decisions. But as a church, we are called to still stand for the things of God and the ways of God. We believe that God has put a certain order into the world that is that should be gracious on us. And so instead of looking at fences as this restricting thing, it should really be this is the grace of God, the goodness of God. Um, you know, we all got here today because of a set of traffic laws, did we not? And, and we may think for a minute, oh, we shouldn't have to stop at this red light. But if it was just anybody can do what they want, anybody can kind of try to get however they want, we would have a system of chaos. And so I think as a church, we need to begin to look with grace and love, but look at God's word and, and the order he's put into the world, whatever that is, as a, really his goodness on us so that we can fully live a life that he's called us to live. And God's people said, yeah. amen to that. Good word. And, you know, for thousands of years, too, the church has always uh, kind of displayed this audacious faith, you know, a belief that God can do whatever God wants to do. And he can really change things and impact history. And so I think as a church going forward, I would love to see us display the same kind of audacious faith that God can truly do anything. 
And so when I preach on a Sunday morning and I say something like, God can restore marriages, I'm not saying that because it's like some kind of quippy thing that hopefully ends up on social media. I'm saying it because I really believe God has the power to transform marriages, to transform families, to release people from addiction and so they can experience freedom. And so I think if we begin to have real audacious faith, believing that if we ask God to do something in the world, in our community, he could actually do it. Uh, we're not just coming together to talk about it. We're, we're, we're coming together because we believe this is a truth that's been promised to us from a long time ago. And we've seen the church throughout history continue to trust in him no matter what people say about him. And I would love to see our church continue to have that kind of audacious faith. I think that's how we see our community change, how we see the world change. I think it's how we see uh, the movement that has started many, many, many years ago continue to roll all throughout history and make a huge difference in this world. It says again, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. You know, just this past uh, Tuesday in a meeting we have, our call meeting, where we uh, take those little pew pads, registration pads that, you, that people fill out, and first-time visitors, and we were going over names and, and the importance of calling people and touching base with people. And one of our newer staff shared her story and shared how she had moved to this community. Her husband had died. She had three children, I believe. And she was really struggling, really struggling with grief, really struggling with how to get it connected. And, and she visited our church and, and had grown up, what, Episcopalian, I believe, and grown up. And, and, and Pastor Faye, bless her heart, kept calling her. Said, I'd ignored it. I'd get a message. And she said, I actually went back and looked at my little uh, uh, history at the church. And I'd, I'd been called 20 or 30 times and, and, and just never responded. And but one day I responded. And, it, and, and I, I invited Christ into my life in a new way, and my life is totally different. And, and she was crying, and other people in the room were crying. And you need to hear those stories, that, that God is changing people's lives. And, and other people need to hear that, that there are people moving into Lexington that are looking for hope, looking for direction, looking for guidance. Now, the other thing I want to ask you this morning is, um, again, verse 23, it says, or 24, um, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What do we need to do to keep motivating each other? You know, we, we talked about the Advent offering. You know, we've, we're motivated now to go build two homes here in Lexington. You know, motivated to, to go build some homes in Nepal. But what else can we do to, to motivate one another? To me, this is simple. Uh, if the people of Mount Horror become really passionate about Jesus really, really love him. I think it'll motivate other people around us. Uh, I'm, I'm meeting with a, a young couple right now who are getting married this summer, and so we're doing some premarital counseling, and we met last night to discuss some preliminary things. And it was funny because I couldn't get them to stop looking at each other to listen to the things that I was saying. I'm like, hey, listen, right here. I know this is like really nice and everything, but eyes right here. Um, <laughs> but the reason is very simple. They're passionate about each other. They, they love each other. And so I, I, I long for the day where people who call themselves believers and followers of Jesus are so passionate about him that they'll have a conversation about him anywhere. Not just here on a Sunday morning. It's easy here on a Sunday morning to come and sit next to somebody and sing songs and, and talk about the sermon for five minutes till we get to Moe's and then something else happens. But what would it look like for the people of Mount Horror to be so passionate for Jesus that it spills out into the rest of the week? I think that's the way we motivate each other. And when I'm around someone who loves God, really, really loves God, I'm, it raises the bar for me. To ask myself, like, am I, am I passionate about Jesus like that person is passionate about Jesus? And so my challenge for all of us in this room, and for me, first and foremost, I want to be so passionate about Christ, so in love with him, that I can't stop talking about it. And someone might be like, hey, listen, wrap it up, you know, finish it. I can't. Like, it's that important to me. So passion for Jesus is the motivation, I think. And I think that passion, you know, Trevor, can take in many shapes, sizes, and forms. I mean, you are a very passionate communicator, you know, and, and not everybody can communicate as well as you can. But, but everyone in this room has gifts and abilities. 
and, and, and to use how God has gifted you to make a difference. Some of you do it through investment of your time, investment of your resources, investment of your, of your singing or your, your, your something you can. So find how God's made you to use what he's made you to, to change the world. I mean, it's this passion though that pushes us into all the different margins of the world to serve those who are in need. It's this passion that pushes us to build ramps here in this community, to, to serve in the after-school program, to partner with circles. I mean, all of these different opportunities to make a difference in the world is because of the passion that people have at this church to love Jesus well. So you're right. I mean, it spills out into all kinds of different ways, and that's the best way to do it, I think. We're not all cookie-cutter folks, you know. Which is the, the body of Christ that you, you talked about earlier today. Yes, I think, you know, the, like you're saying, like the way we make that kind of impact, not just locally, but on a global scale, is that we all, as believers in, in this local body, commit ourselves to what it looks like to be a part of the body. I think a lot of times it's it's really easy, and I've heard this, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years that I've been doing full-time ministry, people just will criticize the the church as an institution. Well, if the church would, you know, they need to, to spend money on this instead, or the church needs to not be so full of hypocrites, the church needs to do this or don't do that. I think ownership looks like, how am I spending my money as a believer that contributes to being a part of what the church is? How, how am I choosing to live authentically and not as a hypocrite, which... Christians in the church is criticized for. I think it's easy to, to kind of sit back and just kind of be a Christian from watching stuff on a computer screen or reading a book or believing a set of ideas. But when you're in it with another group of people and you've committed the ownership of being a part of a body who you go through the good times, you go through the bad times, you, you don't just bail when it gets hard, you're, you're committed part of the body. I think it's a whole different level of how you can really motivate each other to keep going. Because there's gonna be moments where one person is struggling and is like, ah, I wanna give up, I just feel like I'm being attacked because of dot, dot, dot. You need each other, we need each other. And so I think we motivate each other when we realize that we're invested and we are part of this thing called the church. And as part of that motivation, I think, is to realize that when we do something for God, for his purpose, his glory, we're investing in eternity. And, and Jesus talks about that one day you'll be recognized, or not recognized, but you'll, you'll, you'll realize your investment that's eternal. And so we spend a lot of time in the temporal here on the planet, and, and, and God has given us blessings on this planet, but ultimately it's to invest in the eternal. And, and, and that one day somebody will come to you and go, Hey, thank you for, for, for doing what you did because I'm here because of your impact. And again, it could be a spoken word. It could be a non-spoken word. But what it is, is investment. Now, the last thing I want to say as we wrap this up uh, because we want people to come back um, <laughs> is uh, verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together because we went too long. Right? No, I didn't say that. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. You know, in an increasingly mobile world, uh, social media-driven world, how do we not neglect? Why is that important? And Rashmi, you start out, because this is what you do. You help put these services together that, uh, that bless us and thrill us. And so, say a word. Yeah, I think, I mean, Sunday morning, obviously, to me, is my favorite part of the week. It's the, it's the, the thing that I really work a lot on during the week, whether it's practicing or preparing or making sure everybody knows what's going on to do these services, but it's just, it's a powerful time when we get to come together all in the same room. You know, I think you may say something like this in a minute, but it's like you're saying in a world where it's easy just to, you know, pull a message up on a, on a 
computer screen or just read a, a book about, you know, how to walk with the Lord. All those things are all good and they should, should supplement what, what's happening. But I believe there's a whole different level of accountability that happens when you choose to show up for other people. Like you have no idea the, the person who, who may have come in this morning who's barely hanging on to their faith, maybe barely hanging on to life for whatever reason, and the importance of stepping into a room of people who are saying, this is who I believe God is. This is how I believe God is still good. And that's why, you know, the songs we pick. I, I was a Bible teacher before I was a worship leader. So what our songs say is very, very, very important to me when I'm putting the sets together. It's very important because we're, we're saying what we believe about the world. We're saying what we believe about who God is and his love for every person, but he's also constantly inviting us into something new. And I think when we take meeting together out of it, and it doesn't have to look like this in a room this big, there are churches all over the world that look very, very different than this, and that's fine. But when you take out the meeting together part, we're missing what it's about. It's, it's different when I hear the word spoke and I'm in a room, everybody knows I heard that. So there's an accountability that takes place. And when I'm singing songs and I'm declaring that I believe Jesus is Lord or he's the king of kings, there's an accountability that takes place. And I, I have the lyrics of one of the songs we sang earlier. And it's the, the part of the song, King of Kings, it's like my favorite song right now. But a part of that song where you really want to start pumping your fist, at least, at least I do, is when it says, and the church of Christ was born, then the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. And I think when you have, you know, this morning, however many hundreds of people gathered declaring that truth, that's centering us around what we believe God has been doing through the ages. And we, as the people of God today, want to continue to be faithful and pass that torch on to the next generation. Yeah, I think the gospel truth of old, I, I, again, the word neglect. And uh, Emma and Daniel, uh, Stevanus and Bill Jones are over in the sanctuary doing something similar to us. And I, I, I said to Emma, uh, I said, Emma, if you would, make sure that you share with the people that do traditional worship that we're not no, going to neglect traditional worship because traditional wor worship is important. You know, the, that, that, the old gospel message, we don't want to lose that. And, but I think we need to realize that the way we present the gospel message can, be, can change. The method can change. And we're here doing a, an entirely different kind of worship experience in this room uh, but I remind you, uh, those of you sometimes, not you, but sometimes I get this from people, uh, none of you, I'm sure, um, that, uh, that, uh, that, that contemporary worship is just not, you know, I don't know, it's just not doing, does anything for me. I would remind you that Charles Wesley, uh, the writer of great Methodist hymns, uh, the brother of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, what he did was when he wrote his hymns, he went to the bars there in London and listened to the tunes in the bars and then he wrote his hymns to the bar tunes. Why? Because he wanted to reach a bunch of people who didn't go to church, who had checked out, who had said, no, thank you, Jesus. And, and so as we look at contemporary worship, the words you just read are powerful words that maybe sound a little different. Well, they do sound a little different. Uh, but yet it's relevant to a, to a whole audience, to a whole people. And maybe some people who said, no, thank you, Jesus, will be reached by that. So Trevor... You got 30 seconds. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, I, very simply, I think the reason that we gather together like this on a Sunday morning is because um, from an ancient Near Eastern standpoint, from, the, from those who wrote the scriptures, they, they considered a faith in God to be something that was communal in nature, not individualistic. 
We live in a world that is individualistic. In the social media world, we're all looking for our 15 minutes of fame. We all want to be unique and different. And the problem is the Bible was written to a group of people who understood that my sin didn't just affect me. It affected everybody. My righteousness didn't just affect me. It had an impact on those around me. And so we gather like this on a Sunday morning because we are not just individuals. We are part of a movement that is powerful. We're a part of something that God's been doing in the world for a very, very long time. And when you come here on a Sunday morning and look around and see those who are sitting next to you, Hopefully, it's the very thing that motivates you once again to leave this place and live this out all throughout the week. Um, I think if Mount Hort continues to have that spirit within it, God will continue to use us right where he's placed us here in this community to do wonderful things. And you talked about accountability, and ultimately, we're going to be accountable to Jesus. Uh, and one day, according to Hebrews uh, 25 here, uh, chapter 10, is that he's going to be returning. And when he returns, he's going to hold us accountable. What have you done with uh, my creation? What have you done with my kingdom? What have you done with my people? And so we, I, wanna be, I wanna be a faithful servant. And many of you, most of you in this room are faithful servants because we are accountable. I wanna close with something a little different today, our time. And in 394, I think it is, yeah, 390 AD, the early church was, was growing, it was expanding, it was, it was exploding. And the church leaders felt they needed to put together some creeds that the people could hold on to, to know exactly what they believe so they could hold firm to truth, hold firm to their beliefs. And so there's something that we don't always use in this room called the Apostles' Creed. And I would just like to ask you to stand so together we can share in a historic statement of faith that we've been holding on to for a long time. And we're not going to throw it away. We're going to live into it. There's a, there's a word in here that says, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Some of you go like, what is that? It means the universal church. The word Catholic means the body of Christ all over the world. So that's who we're part of at Mount Horeb. Would you join me in this historic confession of our faith called the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From since he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. As we close this part, I want to have a time of prayer. Would you just pray right now that as a church, that we will respond to God's divine invitation to come into his presence, that if we confess our sins, he will receive us? Would you pray about that divine insistence that we hold firm to God's truth? Would you pray that we'll make a divine impact in this world, a, a footprint of God's presence? And they know that God has an intent for us to do this together, not isolated. Would you pray for a moment? And then I'm going to ask Grace Marie and Trevor to pray over you.
God, we are in this place this morning because you've been at work at some point in our lives, in our journey to bring us to this moment. And so we just pray that no matter where each one of us are this morning, that our heart would remain soft towards you, that we would not um, forget the incredible love that you've poured out on each one of us, the incredible purpose that you've called each one of us into, the life that you've called us into. And I just pray that we would, with gratitude, continue to kneel before you as our Lord and that we would choose to be a light in this world as you call the church, even a a city on a hill, that we wouldn't be ashamed of of standing uh, for grace and mercy and truth that is found in Jesus. So we pray this morning that you would move all of our hearts to continue to follow after you so that we can see your transformation continue to change us as we invest in this community locally and also the world. Spirit of God, would you fall fresh on us this morning? I pray, God, you would give every single one of us a deep sense that we are loved by you, that you've called us to yourself. I pray, God, that we would have a commitment, a deep commitment, God, to live as disciples who are learning each and every day what it looks like to live under your rule and your reign. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy that you've given to us that we might extend it to the world around us. We love you, Jesus, and we need you, Jesus. Would you fill us now with your spirit that as we go forward, you would use us in this week ahead. Now the time is short and I just remind you that we shouldn't neglect this. There's three words I want us to sing. Take us out a little bit over time, but God understands. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Would you worship? Would you invite those three words to change your life? Give me Jesus.